0: All right. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Uh, we are in week four of a series called Marriage, Sex, Gospel, and Everything in Between. And today's going to be a little bit different than usual in that it's going to be extremely practical. We're going to spend maybe five minutes actually in the text and then get into um, hopefully an exercise of what the Bible calls chokmah, wisdom, on how to apply some of the Bible's ancient truths to our family life and family structure. If you're new here, usually what we do is we kind of pick a book of the Bible, and we work through it verse by verse. That's why I say today is a little bit different. Um, We have one more week of this series, and then we'll be back to more of a normal routine. We'll be going through the book of 1 Thessalonians verse by verse. But today, what I'd like to do is talk about chokmah, wisdom, as it applies to families. Um, the, the biblical idea of wisdom basically wrestles with two questions. What kind of world do we live in, and what does it take to live well in that world? Um, and the, the reason why we're, we're exercising wisdom in this is that the world that we now live in, especially the world that young people are being brought up in, the world that they occupy, is fundamentally different than the world that the Bible was written in. So we're taking the ancient truths of scripture, which are timeless and, and the word of God, and then applying those to specific life questions that we're dealing with now. So for example, there's no verse in the Bible where you look up uh, things about the internet. Like, what does the Bible have to say about social media? You can't like, turn to the back of the Bible and like, in word search social media. But the Bible has stuff to say about these issues, but it does so in its own context, and we have to practice wisdom, chokhmah, in order to understand how we should live out those truths in the world we live in. Now, today's gonna to be talking a lot about family, and specifically raising children, but I promise you, um, every single one of the, the, the principles, the thoughts that we're gonna cover apply to every single person in this room in one way or another. So although it's primarily... Um, targeting parents with children, teenagers, young people still in the house. Um, the principles apply to everyone. And more importantly, um, we. most of us have, whether they're our grandkids, our kids, you're a you have a niece, a nephew, you're, you're single, but you have friends that have kids. Whatever it is, there's kids in your life who these things are going to apply to. And if you're the person in this room who goes like, there's no longer any children in my life, any way, shape, or form, so this sermon is boring, please talk to our family ministry pastor or Greg Quirk, and they will sign you up to work with our children. Uh, last week, we had 160 children just in the services, that's 160 kids. So I'm not talking about high schoolers, junior, high I'm just talking about little kids, 167. There's tons of them that God has given us influence and responsibility over. So if you're saying, none of this applies to me, I would love to have it apply to you in a brand new way. You can talk to Greg Quirk, the campus pastor, Gene Carini, family pastor. Okay, so chokmah, uh, this idea, has to do with exercising wisdom with issues that the Bible doesn't necessarily talk about directly. So there's gonna be some stuff that I say today that you might disagree with, you might agree with, you might agree with it to a certain extent but would implement it in a different way. That's what wisdom is. All of us have different backgrounds, different family issues, we have different family structures and so wisdom has to be contextualized to every single situation so uh, you can, you can't just have one kind of truth and then apply it to everyone equally in the sense of the way wisdom operates. So you have to use your own chokmah and decide how some of these thoughts apply to your family. Okay, so here's the foundation for today. It's found in Deuteronomy 6:4. This is the foundational kind of pillar verse and section of the scripture. This is the most important Bible verse for Jews in Jesus' day, and it's the most important Bible verse for religious Jews today, and by extension, for Christians, because when Jesus asked what the most important commands were, he pointed to this. Deuteronomy 6.4, in Hebrew, this verse is called the Shema. He wrote, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. In other words, you are to love God with the sum total of your being everything you got. Now most Christians are familiar with this part of it. This is the greatest these are the greatest commands to love God. I want you to see what comes right after it though. Verse 7 you shall teach them, the words just spoken, diligently to your children. The, the, the words spoken, the law of God. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. When are you supposed to talk about God the law of God, the ways of God, what's this verse getting at? All the time, complete integration into the family structure. So it's not this kind of, you do church on Sundays, and that's where your kids learn Bible stories, and you rely on the church to do it. It's this idea of the family unit integrating God into every component of the family structure. Now, I'm not saying that it's like it's sin if you're never not talking about God like at home. You can talk about, you know, whatever. But the verse is getting at a concept of complete integration. Now, um, a lot of people today talk about all the reasons why young people are leaving the church for various different reasons. And there's a lot of great ideas, a lot of brilliant people thinking about them. Some people say it's because of this issue or it's because of science and faith or it's because of uh, the culture. And and there's truth to all the reasons that people say. But in my experience as a youth pastor and now working um, with young people in ministry in various different avenues, people who grow up in homes where they're told Jesus is is right and true and you should follow him but those truths and the love of God is not integrated into their home life into the structure of their home there's like this fragmentation and compartmentalization that occurs and so Jesus becomes this kind of compartmentalized side pocket issue and then um, you have the rest of your life And I'm telling you, that is one of the most dangerous and harmful things is if you do church on Sunday and it's not integrated into the home. LifeWay Research Group just uh, did a massive survey, just published a few weeks ago, and they identified the top three ways or top three kind of factors that keep people who were brought up in Christian homes remaining in the faith as adults. The number one reason that they came up with after they surveyed thousands of people was families who read the Bible together in the home. Pretty simple. Read the Bible. Second reason was people who prayed and went to church together. And specifically, this is, this is not just me trying to get you to sign up for something. I promise. LifeWay Research, you can Google it. Um, they said when, when families weren't just spectators in the church, so it wasn't that you just came on Sunday and watched, but you were more involved, you did something other than just Sunday mornings, some other, some other thing. So it was more of an integration. Um, families Who Worship Together was also listed. So it, again, the research points to the, this idea of integration being necessary. Now, a quick preface before we go forward. You can be an amazing parent and do all of those things and still have your kids rebel. And you could be a horrible parent and somehow get blessed with amazing, God-fearing children. Um, the universe isn't a, a fixed system where if you do X, Y, Z, you get this. Um, that removes the sovereignty of God. It removes his grace. There's so many other factors involved in that Equation, And I say that because sometimes when children are rebelling, parents have this overwhelming sense of guilt, like what did I do wrong type, type of thing. Um, you might have been a great parent. You might have done the best you can. Um, and some of you, you know, you pat yourself on the back like you're a great parent because you got great kids. You yeah, have nothing to do with it. <laughs> they just have a greater testimony because of your parenting. Yeah, like Kevin, Kevin Kerseney, man. No, Kevin Kerseney was raised well. He's raised well. Integration is this key concept. Now, here's the number one issue that makes raising children and doing family life different than um, it was 50 years ago. And it's the issue of, you can probably guess it, technology. The world is different. It's, you have to raise children and do family differently than you did 50 years ago, 100 years ago, technology is, is the issue of our time, and so just think how things have changed in the last um, decade or so. There's some of you who are laughing, some of you people, you don't even know what this is. Yeah, look. Did, did you know what it was? Did you just ask your mom what is that? Did you, you know what it is? Did do you? They taught you? They taught you in history class what that is, <laughs> right? You went to the Museum of Science and Invention, you, you saw these things? This is a floppy disk, and this is the advanced floppy disk. This was the 1.44 megabyte. I mean, think about this. Um, my cell phone has 64 gigabytes, so that's roughly 47,000 floppy disk in my phone. It's crazy. It's crazy. Anyone remember this is? Who had one of these? Oh, my gosh, this place is filled with drug dealers. Uh, Dang. So, young people, these things were called pagers or beepers, and it was sort of like it let you know that somebody wanted to talk to you. Uh, But, like, if you had a boyfriend or a girlfriend, there was, like, a little secret pager code that you could flirt with. Like, you could, like, put in certain things, and it would mean, like, I love you in pager code. It was crazy, though. I mean, compare that to the cell phone in your pocket now. The world is, is crazy different. Um, this is going way back. Now you won't, you won't know, you don't know what that is. This is a Sony uh, Betamax. Sony presents the next thing. Look at that. It, some of you still don't even know what it is. It's, this is like the prototype of what we called VHS, which some of you don't, don't remember what, what, what it was. Uh, this is what, when I was in junior high and high school, this is what we did. Now, here's a crazy thing. A Generation Z, which is the generation younger than millennials, they're under the age of 19, the, the number one way they will probably know what that is, guess, Guardians of the Galaxy. They will know that from a movie, Guardians of the Galaxy, not because they've actually ever seen or made a cassette tape. Uh, this phone... You, have, you know, every home had one, it was a big deal and it took 30 seconds to call someone uh, it was so hard and you know for some of you that seems like yesterday some of you it seems like that's new technology I mean my father-in-law is in the room Jerry Russell, when he started out they were still doing smoke signals um, and so that is like advanced technology it was very difficult growing up you know. Now to to bring all that together and, and make a very serious point. Think about this. Say you have a fifteen year old daughter, fifteen year old daughter. Um, when that phone was on the wall in the house, if her boyfriend wanted to, to talk to her, he had to call your house. <laughs> Thus. Indirectly, or you know, in one way or another, technically, you're almost getting permission to talk to my 15-year-old daughter if the parents are, parents are home, okay? Hey, is Susie home? Yeah, who is it? Bob. Yeah. <laughs> Done. Okay. But that conversation, you knew who she was talking to. You knew how long she was talking on that phone. And you usually knew the primary contents of that conversation, because although they tried to make these chords very long, and some of you are going back to your time, and you don't want your parents to listen Suzanne's in the back. you'd walk all the way down the hallway with that cord, and you'd go around the kitchen door, and then you'd shut the door and be,, you know you're... It's a public conversation, and you know who your children are talking with. Compare that to today where the vast majority, the vast majority of junior high and high schoolers have cell phones, and I forget the stat, uh, it's something, the amount of elementary students that have cell phones, some of your kids have cell phones, or smartphones in particular. you compare that? There's one ringing right there, right there. Who is it? Put it on speaker, let's go. I knew the contents of my children's conversations when they were on that phone. My daughter's boyfriend now could ask her to send him nude photos of herself and I would never know. And if you think that's jumping to an extreme, 60% of junior high and high schoolers when survey admit to sending and receiving nude pictures with one another through cell phones. See the difference? Remember, Suzanne Lopez had to turn the corner and hide that phone. But now there's this this super private world. And so you have to change how you do things and how you operate. Technology has fundamentally changed the world. Now, really quick, I am not anti-technology. If anyone knows me, I'm super geeky. I love technology. Whenever a new tech product comes out, there's like a week where I I have to work through my idolatry because I I start thinking that that will make my life better. Um, This isn't an anti-technology sermon, but it is to say this, technology must serve you. The problem is we begin to serve and become slaves to technology. We own the technology, but somehow or one way or another, technology begins to own us and we become slaves to it. And people think things are designed to make your life easier, and that makes them better. It's wrong. Some things make life easier, but it's not better. Just because something is easier doesn't mean it's better. Sometimes the harder route is better. Hike up Half Dome at Yosemite, it's a brutal hike, but there's a payoff, there's a reward. And so some of you, you know, as I go through this, you're going to, think I'm not going far enough in my condemnation of technology. Some of you are gonna think I'm Amish and that the church is changing its direction. You're gonna have to use your own personal wisdom to work through these things and apply them to your life. Use the chokmah. This isn't me saying you have to do all of the things we're talking about. You have to figure out how these apply to your life. But I created a list of like 10 super practical things um, based upon a ton of research on new generations, upon family structure, upon technology, that I think at least will begin to point us in a way that will set up your family to do Deuteronomy six, four, five, and 6 in a better manner. So um, we'll skip that. that was, I was just going to say teenagers aren't teenagers anymore. They're screenagers. Um, 57, 57% of junior hires in high schoolers spend a minimum of four hours a day before a screen, whether that's TV, tablet, laptop, wh- whatever. Okay, chokmah for today. I'll start off with one that's going to cause, cause fights right after. <laughs> we'll just get into it. Okay, chokhmah, super practical. Passwords. A word for married couples and then a, then a, a word for people with um, kids and then some words for people who are either single or maybe um, they're, they're in a widowed situation, divorced, divorced. Um, But primarily, first and foremost, to people who are in a a marriage relationship. You should not have devices that are password protected from your spouse. You shouldn't. Um, Now, I want to clarify something. There are people who have like crazy controlling or insecure habits and there's dysfunction in the relationship, so you have to use your chokmah to decide what applies to, to, my, to my family, I and mean, whether you got some dysfunctional issues to work out or not. But in general, in a healthy marriage, you should not have a device that's password protected from your spouse. Um, I, I don't want my browsing history hidden from my wife. I don't want who I'm talking to hidden from my wife. The only time it could be acceptable is when you're getting like a anniversary present. You gotta hide that. You gotta use someone else's Amazon Prime account or something like that. But in general, I don't want that hidden from her. And there's a reason, especially, I I can't speak for everybody, but I can speak to you as, as a young man. I can't trust myself to do right all the time. If you're on a diet, don't put cheesecakes in your refrigerator. What a cell phone is, is instant access to a world that you're biologically wired to be attracted to. And that world's a very dangerous place and you want that extra accountability. I don't belong to myself. I don't belong to me. I belong to my wife. And my wife belongs to me. And when there's trust in that and transparency, a healthy relationship can form. But um, again, sometimes there's other issues at work and you have to work through those things. But in general, you want that transparency and accountability. Um, Parents, We were, your kids were brought up in a world where they think their privacy from mom and dad is a human right given by God. The vast majority of human beings grew up throughout history in a small one-room hut where the family lived together. You didn't have like your own room, which, which you went into. And so... I would strongly suggest that you don't have your children or your teenagers having password-protected devices that you don't have access to. Now, this is where you need to use wisdom because if you've never done any of this and you go into, like, your 17-year-old's room and just be like, it's gonna explosion. Never come back to church. You have to use wisdom and build up how you do these things. But especially if you have young children, start putting those, those practices into play right now. Um, You can decide using your own chokmah when maybe your son or daughter, uh, you trust them, they're old enough to to have a device that's theirs, like their own iPad with their own password that you can't get to. Uh, For some of you, you can say, hey, when you get into high school, you can do that. Or for some of you, it may be a different age. I'm not here to necessarily say what's the right age. I can tell you, as me personally, there's no way before high school that's happening. And probably no way to your 30th birthday either. Um, but uh, use wisdom. Use wisdom. Uh, if you don't have kids and you're in a situation where you're single, whether it's because um, you haven't found the right person, divorce, um, you've lost a spouse, find someone in your life that you can give access to that to, Espe- Especially if you're a man. Especially if you're a man. I can't speak for everyone, I can speak for dudes. Um, you need that that accountability and transparency. Uh, two, uh, have hard talks with your children before you think they need to have the hard talk. So back in the day, they called like the you know have you had the talk of the birds and the bees yet? Uh, which I don't know why you'd call it the birds and it, it doesn't make any sense to me. Um, I'm sure there's a reason behind it, but have that talk before you think you need to. And this is the reason why: there is a person that your child will go to to answer whatever questions they might have, whatever they're curious about, there is a question and answer machine that they run to. And the second your child has any curiosity about any difficult issue, they go to Google and they insert the question. And you do not want your eight-year-old getting their answers to life's most difficult questions and ethical issues from Google. So you have to have them early You have to have them earlier than you think because they're wondering and being curious about those questions before you did when you were in high school or junior high because the world's a different place. They're exposed to things earlier on. And so I don't want my child Googling things like how many genders are there or is it wrong to have sex before marriage? I don't want them Googling that before I've had those conversations with my child that's going to be uncomfortable because those conversations got to happen earlier than later have those hard talks early sooner later don't let google be mom and dad i'm going to put three and four up at the same time because they all kind of go hand in hand uh one simple just seriously limit the amount of of tv and movies and media you're watching limit it it, it, it do, it's like it never pays off. Like, it, it, it doesn't enrich your life in any way. Now, some of you might argue Stranger Things enriched your life in some ways. Uh, fine, you can have that. But for the most part, it's, it's just killing something called boredom, which, by the way, didn't appear in the English language till about 150 years ago. We even have a word for it. And it first appeared with the aristocratic elite, because they had nothing to do. The concept earlier than that was Foreign. So limit, limit that. It never pays off. But here, here's the bigger, bigger thing, especially with, with children. Um, we are biologically wired to be attracted to, to moving objects and bright colors that stand in contrast to their background. So if you, um, like, watch. Look, look over there. I'm going to do it on both sides. Immediately, your eye is drawn to the bright green thing. Look it over here for those of you here over there. Bright green thing online. You just notice it pops. So we're, we're like moths with lights. Anything that's bright and fast moving, I mean fast moving we're driven to that. Um, if you see a beautiful blue jay with the green forest behind it fly and the blueness just pops, you go, oh my gosh, that's beautiful. What screens and especially um, tablets and, and the games young kids are playing, it's sensory it's overload. It's like, Bright colors and, and fast movement, nonstop, one thing after another. And it has to pick up the pace. Have you noticed just in the last 10 years, some of you might uh, know from the last 40, 50 years, but remember like movies 40 or 50 years ago, like a, a, scene, a dialogue scene, like the camera shot would be on one person for like an entire minute, and it would go to another person for an entire minute. Now when a young person tries to watch a movie that's old, like in 15 minutes they're going, Mom, this is so boring. Now we have to have more camera angles, more movement. Um, the colors have to be, they're, they're more unnatural. The effects make things, the, the color saturation is brighter, everything pops more. And so, in and of itself, there's nothing wrong with that. Again, we're biologically wired to follow that thing. But here's the problem. You do that to children in the early, de, 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 ah, I can't say it. developmental stages. I played too many uh, iPad games when I was little. They go into a trance, and I'm serious. They go into a trance. Have you ever put a Pixar movie on for a two or three year old? Baby, baby girl, hey. I mean, you could sometimes walk in front of the TV with a, with a three year old. And they're, they're biologically, that's the way we're, we're made. There's nothing wrong in and of itself. But you have to limit that, seriously, because it's, it's hurting their, the, the way they develop. Their cognitive development is being hindered. We, we talk about, you know, every, every grandparent does this. Uh, every parent with a little kid. We all trip out on how fast little kids can figure out iPhones or, or smartphones or tablets, right? It's like, this, this kid's two and a half, oh my gosh, look it. He knows how to swipe through the pictures and select the video, and we get all amazed. That's easy. They have a flat surface at which they're moving their finger on. How do they know where to click next? The operating systems are beautiful. There's a box that appears, and it's bright green all around it. You don't have to read Click Me to know that that's the place where you click. They are designed to be the most simplest thing to work on the planet. You know, it's far more difficult than a a two-year-old swiping through pictures, a two-year-old grabbing a polygon, a shape, a three-dimensional object, and trying to rotate that and fit it through a flat surface with a hole that matches the shape. For those of you who've had kids, remember, when they first started trying to do that? They're having to rotate dimensionality, trying to figure out how to put that in. You know what's harder than swiping? Stacking blocks. On an iPad, I can get my, my daughter, she's three and a half, there's a virtual guitar, virtual piano. She could play it, strum and stuff, make music. And we go, oh my, look at you making music. It's so awesome. It's like, she's pressing a button. And there's a response. Of, of course they're going to do that. That's why I do it. It's fun. You know what would be better for her little brain? Not a virtual guitar, but take your four year old and begin to get him a little guitar. Do you know what they have to do just to play a chord? The, the, the mental memory, the muscle memory, the muscle built in their fingers, the rotating of their hands to do chords, the calluses they will build on their little fingers. Do you know how much brain power is being used by a kid playing a guitar compared to hitting an iPad? It's, it's, it's a world of difference. So again, here's my point. Don't, it's not saying don't let your kids watch cartoons or let them ever play with a tablet, but limit it. Seriously, limit it. It's better for them. It's way harder on you. Way harder on you. You know why? I know this. This is my phase of life. Because if you've had a long, hard day, and now you've got to make dinner or something like that, and the kids are flipping out, they're crying, they're fighting, and you can't get anything done, the house is a mess, and you're stressed, you know what you could do? You use your magic and you put them in the trance. Here, Pixar, boom. They stop crying. And your life is easier. Wage war on that in your home. Use it when you have to. But don't let it become, do not let technology do the hard work mom and dads were designed to do. And that's very difficult. I get it. Use it in emergency situations. You you know, tell yourself only. You know, some of you can do that really well. Some of you probably need to use wisdom and and actually like get timers and say I'm only allowing my kids to watch X amount of minutes on a digital screen a day or a week or a month. Okay, so all of that stuff, laptops, media, tablets, Uh, conversation. There's a new book. uh, Not a new book. There's a book written a while ago by Sherry Turtle. It's called Reclaiming Conversation. Basically, she did a bunch of research and came up with this. Before any real meaningful conversation can take up between human beings, on average, it takes seven minutes of them just chit-chatting before they could enter into that conversation. And you kind of know that intuitively, right? Like, like whenever you're going to talk about something serious, you go to someone's house or whatever, and it's like, you talk about weather and baseball or whatever it may be, and then it usually takes about 7 to 10 minutes before you actually engage in real meaningful conversation. Guess what interrupts that 7-minute cycle all the time? What's in your pocket? You're receiving notifications, you're receiving text messages, emails, you're getting alerted depending upon how you have your notifications set up. I just got more likes on Instagram. This is great. But every time you do that, the research shows that you somewhat disengage from that conversation and you pull back that seven-minute timer. And so parents, especially with your children, if you're trying to have a meaningful conversation with them, you have to turn off the devices. You have to. Now, again, some of you haven't built those habits yet up. So if you go home right now and be like, whenever we talk, you turn the phones off. That, that you might have to be using Pixar in 20 minutes. Um, you need to use wisdom on how to apply this. One of, a, a cheap trick you can do is on long road trips, say it's a five hour drive, okay, for the last hour you can use your devices, last two hours, but for the first two hours, no, no devices. Nobody hiding away with their own headphones, isolated in their own world, divorced from the family. Now, that's going to be, especially if you're just starting this at, like, high school, it's going to be so awkward. Um, Use wisdom. Apply it to your situation. But you, you parents with young children, start this early. Don't let them escape all the time. Engage in meaningful conversation. At the end of your life, you are not going to care how many likes you had on Instagram and Facebook. You won't care. And despite what your kids think right now, they won't care either. You want to be surrounded by your loved ones that lived a life rich in meaning and purpose and service to God and family. So you got to do the hard work now and build the habits up now. Dinner, uh, I said this before, do your best to have dinner together as a family. As, much, as many nights of the week you can, I know there's baseball and sports and soccer and choir and whatever, all the extracurricular activities, so that always can't be the case. But do your best to have dinner with your family and have conversation around the dinner table. Eliminate the devices, it takes seven minutes before meaningful conversation takes place. So I would suggest that when you have dinner as a family around the table, you banish devices. They're not allowed at that that place. For some of you, again, that's a no-brainer. You're like, when are we gonna get to something that I don't know? But the statistics say, in and outside of the church, we're not doing these things. And, it, and it's hurting the family unit, it's hurting us. Seven, music. Most of you probably think, uh, I'm gonna say like, don't, don't be listening to bad music, or l- stuff with lyrical content that's inappropriate. That's, that's true, that's fine. Um, here's a different one. This, gonna, this has to apply only to people with young children, because you're not gonna be able to pull this off with your high school. Um, do your best to sing together as a family. <laughs> uh, you're not going to do this if you've got high schoolers. Like, all right, we're going to sing, do the hokey pokey together. Um, but if you have young children, they love to sing and dance. Be silly. Be silly with your kids. Sing and dance with them. There are many people in this room who ache for those days again. Because they came and They went. Be silly with your kids. Sing and dance with them. Do your best to find whatever kid in the family might be musically inclined. Get them an instrument. Start to get get them lessons, even if they hate it. Get them lessons, because as they get older, they're not going to want to sing if you're happy and you know it. But your eight-year-old will play the piano, and you can tell her how proud you are of her, and you can sing the songs that she's playing. And you can have that time together as a family. tons of research that we don't have time to get into, but man, when when families are singing and playing together as a whole, the the benefits are are enormous. Space, find out what room in your house the the, the family spends the majority of time in. Uh, Statistically, it's the living room, number one, and statistically, number two, it's the kitchen. So find out what space in your house, uh, your apartment, your living space is the is the area that you spend most of your time in, and make that place sacred. Make it a place that rewards creativity and relational engagement. What I mean by that is this, don't have it be a place where all of the technology is and everyone could be divorced from the family experience. Make, it a, make the room a place that honors and rewards creativity and relational engagement. So if your kid did learn guitar, Have the guitar in that room on a stand. And when they're little, encourage that type of activity. Um, If you're the family, you got no musical ability. Everyone's horrible. You gave the kid lessons, and then you're like, we ain't paying no 40 bucks a month for this. Uh, Get board games in that room. If you can, this chokmah, this is for you to decide, I would get the TV out of there. Get the TV out of there. Or if you can't get the TV out of there because it's just an awesome, like, 80-inch beautiful screen. There's no other play. This is um, limited. Again, limited. Show discipline. But don't everyone just disengage. Have it a place where there's board games, there's conversation, there's music. Whenever your child does something that's, like, creative, put that up there. If they paint something Put it in this space. The space is designed toward reward, relational, family activity, and creativity. Families are designed by God to build character and godliness. Make that space sacred in the development of that. Nine rest, uh, pretty pretty straightforward. Um, find an hour each day. Maybe it's around the dinner table. Maybe it's right after where you just there's no notification. There's no beeping. There's no technology. It's just sitting down, talking with one another, enjoying each other's presence. Again, I know for some of, some of you, you, you have some habits in your family system that that's going to be difficult, but build to it. Take baby steps to it. No matter how much your kids hate it right now, if you do it gracefully, there's a good chance they may thank you for it 30 years from now. Take an hour a day, take a day a week, take a week a year to just rest. Lastly, uh, read together. Read together. Um, I started something super cheesy, but my kids are three, so nothing's cheesy yet. I'm in the, I got an almost four year old and a two year old, so I'm never cheesy. I'm always awesome. It's the greatest point in my life. Dad is awesome. My jokes are funny, my dance moves are just like, so skillful and you know a toddler can't even walk without like they're like you can snap in a toddler you know they'll try to copy mom or dad look at dad's awesome it's great um we started something called family reading time and you just get everyone in the living room that sacred space and take a half hour 45 minutes 20 minutes an hour whatever your family can do use your own wisdom contextualize say, we're going to read together. We're going to read the Bible together for the first 15 minutes out loud together, and then everyone could read something that they want to read independently. We're going to have this time set apart for family reading. Um, Trust me, that will have more payoff than you can ever imagine. If you can implement that for your young children now, the payoff will be immense. Not only for spiritual reasons, but just the the research is clear. When we can get our children reading, it it sets them up to to flourish in the world they're going to enter into. So, okay. Uh, Use your own wisdom. Look at these things. They are strong suggestions, but nothing is right for every single family. You can disagree or tweak some things, but also wrestle with uh, other layers, How can you and your family begin to integrate Jesus into every kind of layer of your family structure? Deuteronomy 6, 4, 5, and 6, 7. Love God with the sum total of your being. Talk about Him on your way out of the house, on your way back into the house. As you walk on the way, Uh, write write these things on the door so that when you leave the house, you 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 remember them. When you come back in from work, you remember them. It's that absolute integration. Every single level and piece of your family, think through how can you begin integrating. You have to use chokmah because the Bible doesn't spell it out for you. It doesn't tell you what to do with the internet, with media, with TV. It doesn't tell you what to do with cell phones or smartphones. You have to decide as a mom and dad, through prayer and wisdom, how, how to raise those kids. All of these principles you can pass on if you don't have kids in the house, but you got some friends. You can lightly, gently say, you know, your kid has like all of the Pixar movies memorized, like every last one. They might be watching too much. Lastly, biggest biggest thing, um, people don't know who they are anymore, and this really applies to people under the age of, of tw- I'd say 35, but really strongly for people under the age of 21, um, people... A lot of research is going into this. People don't know who they are anymore. Postmodernity has ripped up the foundation of everything. So any type of institution that you once found grounding in, it's now been uprooted and deconstructed. That's a long way of saying um, people don't have a place to stand anymore. There's no absolute truth. Families are, are, are a mess. Our personal lives are a mess. People don't know who they are. Um, research shows that Generation Z, is 19 and under, um, needs the approval of others more than the three previous generations. Guess what generation needed at the least? You can guess it. The last three. You have Millennials, Gen Xers, Boomers, and then Generation Z. Who cared the, less, the least what people thought about them? Boomers. For you Boomers, you don't, you don't care about what people think. That's why when you post something on social media, your son or daughter goes, Mom, you can't say that on Facebook, I don't care. What? can do that. This is true of every generation, but especially you young people. It will be very difficult for you to be a Christian in a world that you seek approval from. Jesus says they will hate you because they always hated me. When you'd rather be liked by the world than found faithful to Jesus it will be very difficult to you for you to remain a Christian. Be very difficult. So you have to, as parents and young people, start forming your identity in Jesus. You don't need the world's approval because you've already been accepted. You don't need new things to buy because you've already been bought with blood. You don't need more likes or retweets because you're loved right now in the present. And Christ took it to a cross to prove it, to pay it in full. And your world and what you think about yourself has to be formed by the truth of the gospel. Otherwise, you can do all the principles in the world and you'll get eaten alive. You could do steps one through 10 perfectly and you'll get eaten alive. You have to instill an identity in Christ in yourself and your kids and your grandkids and your loved ones. You have to remind them of gospel truth again and again and again and again. So the challenge is this. Pick a couple things that you could integrate into your family life. Don't be anti-technology. Just have technology serve you, not the other way around. There's other things that we can talk about. There's ideas that you have that aren't on that list. Do them. Talk about them. Wrestle with them. But let's start making habits that set up our families for flourishing and, and having identities built on Christ you get any bright ideas that's like super cool that you're like Isaac on your list you should have dropped seven and included this email me I'd love I'd love to hear it I'm gonna pray we're gonna enter into a time of worship Uh, we do this together not only as family but as as church family the corporate people of God singing to Jesus the king that's a powerful activity father God uh, we thank you for this day we thank you for our loved ones Um, I pray that this church would start being different in our habits and how, and how we do things and um, a lot of tough challenges. I, I, I'm like the biggest hypocrite when it comes to this stuff. Man, I can glue myself, Lord. You know I can waste away in front of an iPad for hours and hours on end. Um, so give us, give us wisdom on how to interact with technology. Give us wisdom how to do family life. Most importantly, we want to love you. We want to serve you. So teach us how to do that, Lord. We give you praise on this day. We thank you for this and all the blessings you've brought our way. In Jesus' name, amen.